name is Alexa Collier, and on this podcast, I interview those who are early on in their careers. We discuss their successes and accomplishments, their advice, and where they're headed on their career paths. With me today for our very first virtual coffee is Abby Daniels. Abby graduated from Brandeis University in 2019 with a Bachelor's of Science in Biology and a Master's in Biology. While in college, she contributed to a published paper with first authors C. Greppi and W.J. Lorson titled, Mosquito Heat Seeking is Driven by an Ancestral Coding Receptor. Abby is now pursuing her career as a post-baccalaureate research fellow at the NIH, which is the National Institutes of Health, and is hoping to go back to school to get her PhD. Welcome, Abby. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks for having me, Alexa. <laughs> I, I really wanted to start with talking about one of your many amazing accomplishments, which is that academic paper that you contributed to. I'd really love to know what was that journey like? You know, how does one even get to that opportunity at such a young age? It was a lot of fun. Honestly, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to contribute to that work with my the lab that I worked in at Brandeis. It was really a, a collaboration between a bunch of the people in the lab being able to sh showcase the different skills that they've acquired throughout their careers. And I mean, I was lucky, I guess, to be there while this was happening. I was working mm -hmm. with people that have, you know, they have their PhDs, they're very accomplished and very knowledgeable about the things that we were doing. But at the same time, it was also kind of an adventure for everybody since this was the first mosquito paper that was published and published from this lab, like everyone was still getting their feet wet. So it was a really good opportunity wow. for me to both learn from those people and like the senior members of the lab and their expertise. Right. As well as it, it was interesting to be around for this because it was also their first time working with this type of organism and, and doing this. So it was really a collaborative effort. Yeah, I was just kind of glad, glad to be there for it. And I, I really learned a lot. One of the things obviously being a, a younger person, like being less senior mm. in that type of like academic structure is you really are just trying to learn as much as you possibly can from the people that are around you. And you want to see if you can, you know, watch other experiments that people are doing that are maybe a little bit more technically complicated and get in as much as, as much as you can really to just get that experience because it's, it's so hard in sciences mm -hmm. to do to do some experiments that you, you know, you've read about in your textbooks, like you and know how to do in theory, mm. but you want to be able to put that to good use. Right. That's, okay. yeah, that seems like an awesome opportunity and that you really got to have that hands-on experience like you're talking about, right? You're not just reading it in the textbook anymore. You're actually doing it. What what's are some of the skills that you learned, you know, without being using going too scientific <laughs> because, you know, I'm not I'm not a scientific expert as yourself. But what are some of those skills that you learned or were able to either bring into your role now at the NIH or just in in life in general? Yeah, I mean, I am also like I am far from an expert, man. <laughs> I, I'm just around for it. But it's it's interesting. There's a lot of things, I think, especially you know, as I've gotten a little bit older and have, you know, been around more people and made those connections, that there are a lot of things that you do in a scientific capacity and in that world that are really translatable mm. to just kind of jobs in general and just conducting yourself in everyday life. Like you need to be able, when you're 
working at the bench and you're doing your science, you need to be able to think and analyze critically like pieces of literature. You need to be able to synthesize information and it's obviously super important, but you need to be able to work in a team. Like no scientist functions alone. Like Mm -hmm. they're, labs especially like within labs and also like with collaborators that might be at different labs at the same institution Mm -hmm. or at an entirely different institution like you need to be able to work collaboratively as a team because that's the only way some of the stuff is going to get done and you want to be able to recognize where somebody else is an expert and you may need help from that person say you know I don't I think this might be a really cool experiment, but I don't know much about it. Let me find somebody who does and who can help me is a really critical skill. Being able to just maintain an organized time table Mm -hmm. for yourself is is also very important. To be to be self-sufficient in in what you're what you're able to do, you know, if you if you really feel confident in something, being able to take the reins and and produce whatever you're trying to do but at the same time you don't want to you don't want to be too overconfident like you want to be able to be self-sufficient but at Mm -hmm. the same time recognize when recognize and be comfortable asking for help when you feel like you need it and in most cases like people are more than willing to help you Mm. something like you're not on your own people seem to have this this impression that scientists are like really solitary people and that's (laughs) not true right we're constantly talking to each other throughout the day about, you know, about our work and just kind of while we are working, mm-hmm. you're, you're not alone and you're not working in a bubble. Right. Right. It seems like that scientific community is, is really strong. Um, I, I'm happy you shared that. And I also loved your comparison of the skills you learn in the lab. You can, bring to your life in general, you know, those analytical skills. I can definitely relate to that with my background in computer science, right? It's not necessarily the specific skills that I use now, but I still use that being able to synthesize information and take things step by step that I learned from that field. I think that's a that's a wonderful comparison that yeah. people should think about more. And that's something that I've I've heard more people talk about, I guess, as I've been cuz obviously I had an incredible experience in undergrad and I really I really enjoyed being there but being able to branch out and being now at a at a much larger institution I I feel like I've been given the opportunity to hear from a lot of people in a lot of uh, different aspects of working around and in science that some of these skills that we just talked about that people normally associate with like the out you know the outside academia world mm-hmm. we do like science, right. scientists do in their everyday life. And it's about learning how to think about those skills and how to market them. Like if you, if you eventually mm. want a job outside of working in academia or even to advance in academia, like you need to be able to think about those skills and recognize them in your life as a scientist and recognize how they can be applied to other things. Yeah, that's a, a great skill set. And yeah, great, great advice as well um, for those who are listening or maybe in the sci- scientific fields or other industries as well. Now, want to bring it back a little bit um, more 
beyond undergrad and and go back to our good old high school days, <laughs> would love to know, did you have a set path in high school um, or did you go down different paths to get to where you are at today? And the reason why I'm asking this is because I remembered, you know, being in high school and not knowing what the heck I wanted to major in. Um, just curious how you got to your path of being a awesome scientist. Um, I think that's a incredible path to go down and just want to hear more about that, how you decided to go down that um, in high school. But yeah, so I, I went, I'm originally from Vermont and I went to a, you know, small high school by any like metropolitan standards. But for us, it was, you know, average, average size school. And I felt like I really had the opportunity to take a lot of class. Like I got a very, I had a very good high school education. Awesome. And I, I felt very prepared coming into college with what I had learned. And I think that part of that for me was that I, my class sizes in high school weren't super big, especially for the advanced sciences, because it was not something that a lot of people did. Like, I remember hearing a guidance counselor say, you know, my senior year of high school, like a majority of my high school did not go to college. So okay. a lot of people were not taking the, you know, advanced placement chemistry, advanced placement biology, mm -hmm. you know, calculus, those types of classes. So we had a, a smaller group. And so we got to do a lot more stuff, maybe move at a faster pace mm. or some explore some cool things that maybe people in, you know, if you were in those types of classes, but you had 40 people in your class, mm -hmm. that wouldn't be able to be possible. And I... I reckon those, those are out of my control, you know, like I right. did not choose to be in this place. That's just where I happened to be. Like my, my biology class as a senior, there were four people in our class. Oh, wow. Um, so because there were so few of us, we got to do some really cool experiments. Like we, we had the resources to do experiments that at a higher level that you would not have been able to do if there were more people in your class. Mm -hmm. And it also gave us that time with our teachers to talk to them as people and right. to move beyond them just standing at the front of the room lecturing us. Mm -hmm. So I, I knew I wanted to go into the sciences pretty early in high school. And my, my favorite class was, was biology. Okay. And that was just something I, I felt like I wanted to continue and thought that it might be an interesting path and could lead me, lead me somewhere cool. Where, where I landed with that one, it was just some, some great teachers and mm. some interesting circumstances. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it, it seems perhaps science was almost a natural path for you, which is, which is awesome. Um, and I, I love that you were able to turn that small class size almost at, into an accelerator for you on your career path. And as you headed into college, um, really taking advantage of that small group setting. Do you have... What's your advice to high schoolers currently who are possibly considering going down that path of science? Um, do you have any advice for them as they're thinking about what they want to do in college? I think that there's a there's a stigma, at least I felt it in school with myself and I saw it with some of my peers. And there's a stigma that exists, and I think especially strongly in the sciences. If you ask for help, you're almost weak. Hmm. Um, and that if you need more time to do something, you're just, you're not as smart or you just aren't going to get it. Hmm. And I, that's, that's not true. I mean, as somebody, I mean, I was in my TA's office hours for like first year chemistry every mm -hmm. single week 
was I, am I, was I the best chemist out there? Like, heck no, no. (laughs) But it was just something I knew that I needed to do in order to be able to succeed in those classes. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with getting help or going to office hours. Like I became later on in my college career, I TA'd for the biology lab, which was my favorite class mm-hmm. the year that I took it. And getting forming that relationship with those professors, it just really occurred to me that they want you to come to their office hours. They literally set aside time to help you. And they they want you to utilize it because it lets them if one, it helps you as a student, which is their ultimate goal. And it helps them to know where the class is at. So if a bunch of people are coming and asking the same question, they know they didn't explain it very well. Mm-hmm. They want to go back and make that better. And a majority of professors are very happy to see people in their office hours. They get bored when they're just sitting there. When I was TAing and people didn't come to my office hours, I got bored. It made me feel really good when people kept showing up to office hours and asking good insightful questions or even just saying like hey I didn't understand this when you talked about it in in lab can we just go over it again because it makes me think about how I was teaching and also they it's showing me that they care and that was that was really important and oftentimes those students would excel you know you could see in the beginning of the semester they weren't doing so well if they made the effort and came to office hours and came to study sessions and did those little extra things they were ending the the semester with decent grades. At least whenever I would go to office hours and I came in feeling, you know, flustered and, you know, upset that I didn't understand something once I left and felt like I had an understanding of it, it was mm-hmm. it's a really powerful feeling. Yes, definitely. Like, I, you know, yeah, I've, I been, I've been there myself. <laughs> yeah, like, when you feel like I struggled with this, but I, I feel better about it now. And that's also a good, you know, it's good self-advocacy. Like you have to listen to yourself, recognize when you need help, and go get that. And I think that in the sciences, sometimes that especially, you know, people are competitive, institutions are competitive, like, to, to know that it's okay to ask for help, and it's encouraged. Science is not, you don't get good at science by just knowing things. Science is Mm -hmm. constant questioning. You're questioning everything. The higher Mm -hmm. you don't see, the, the higher up you get, the more people you meet, people are still asking questions. Really, really senior PIs ask a ton of questions. Yeah, I think that's incredible advice and insight. I love how you're saying to don't be afraid to ask for help. Embrace the resources that are there for you. Build your network because you really never know where that's going to take you and lead you, what opportunities that'll open up for you. And also asking for help will will never hurt you, right? It'll always help you. Uh, Yeah, I think that's incredible advice for everyone, not just people in high school. Awesome. I'd want to bring it back to today. (laughs) Um, So I know where you're at today, you know, at the NIH perhaps isn't your final destination. Um, Would love to dive into what are your next steps? You know, where's your mind at with your future? You know, are there tools or resources that are helping you to figure out what's next for you? So after I graduated in May, I was, I knew that after I graduated, I wanted a little bit of time to not Mm -hmm. be a student, which is why I applied to be in the post-bac program at the NIH. It's so far, it's been it's been a cool experience. I've gotten to meet a lot of people and and see see a lot of cool things. But yeah, I, I am looking to event to to go back to school in the next 
cycle for a PhD. And that was something that I struggled with deciding, you know, after I left undergrad and, and where I am now, because it is a huge commitment mm-hmm. and it's going to be, it's a lot of time and it is a lot of, it's a lot of mental energy. It's a lot of learning. And it's something that after talking to a lot of people for a very long time, I, I've mm-hmm. resettled back on that that is what I want to do. So I'm hoping to start in a PhD program next mm-hmm. fall to kind of see see where that goes because I still I have that love for science and there's mm-hmm. more that I want to to explore in that realm. And in order to come to that decision, I mean I didn't I didn't take it lightly and I don't think that anybody who chooses to go down that path or who doesn't takes mm-hmm. it lightly. It right. really took a lot of me searching within myself to think about what I value as a person and my goals and also mm-hmm. talking to people that I, you know, would consider my my friends and people that I consider mentors because they've some of these people that I've been able to, you know, keep these relationships with through right. through undergrad and kind of build my network of of mentorship have been crucial mm-hmm. right. for me after while I was in undergrad and especially now after like mm-hmm. those people that have maybe been there before and can advise you through some of it or you know they just know your personality and can offer advice that isn't cookie cutter mm-hmm. right definitely and I'm curious what opportunities does a PhD D open up for you specifically and I'm asking this because perhaps this would help someone who's considering whether to pursue their PhD or not um, perhaps just hear from someone you know where their mindset's at in considering going for a PhD I mean this is different for everybody and mm-hmm. like for me the way that I approached it was at this point I was feeling very much like continuing in this path of academia is something mm-hmm. that I want to do for the moment at, at least mm-hmm. I still have that love like that innate love for science like I get up and you know if, if I leave an experiment going one day I am excited to come back the next day and look at it mm-hmm. and it's something that I think about and so that for me was an indicator that this is something that I think I could do and I think I would be successful in is because I still have that like drive to know more and to be in that type of environment for some people that's definitely not not the case and there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that everyone's everyone's journey is their own for me too it was also it I am hoping it will be an opportunity to learn something new and maybe expand in areas where I haven't had the opportunity to to do so before Mm -hmm. And maybe, you know, live in another place, meet new people and expand on some of these opportunities that are available to people in senior level positions. Mm-hmm. That is also, something I've considered is there are there are jobs such as, you know, being a professor, you mm-hmm. need to have right. a, you need to have that background. And so for somebody that like wants that, that it's a necessity um, in order to be able to do that. And obviously, there are a bunch of there are many instances and it's becoming more increasingly so in the sciences that people are not strictly staying in academia. They're working in industry. They are Mm -hmm. working in policy. They're working in law. So there's a lot of people doing different things. The way I guess it was best explained 
it was best explained to me was that a PhD isn't necessarily and often just about what you study. Sometimes, sometimes people will go and continue a career path that is very similar to what they studied in their PhD. And like, that's, that's great. That's something mm-hmm. that people really are very passionate about. But for a lot of people, they are, what their job, what they end up doing, I guess, isn't necessarily directly related to what they did in their PhD. The PhD mm-hmm. is more this opportunity for training rigorously, like mm-hmm. how to think and how to analyze problems and be self-sufficient in that way that obviously you're not able to be without less experience. So you leave that program, you leave with that degree, and this uh, and an ability to problem solve and articulate and synthesize information in a way that you may not have been able to do before you took this on. Right. And that was something I thought was super valuable and something that I think it will be useful for me in, you know, my future or wherever I, you know, end up doing. Yeah, that that makes sense. And it seems like your advice to those considering whether or not to continue in the workforce or pursue their PhD would really be to talk to others about their experiences, understand your goals and what drives you, and really dive deeper into understanding what a PhD would would give you. Is is there anything you'd add to that? Yeah, I guess also like what it would look like, um, depending on, you know, where where you're located, what the situation mm. is, because it is a significant undertaking of time and resources. Like this is not you're not in school a semester and you get the summer off. Like mm-hmm. you are consistently doing this and in, you know, the biological sciences, the times that I've seen both from, you know, interacting with PhD students as well mm-hmm. as, reading, you know, reading the admissions statistics for some of these, some of these institutions is it's anywhere between on average five and six years of your life. Wow. wow. So this is not something to do lightly or to just be a, a natural next step. Like, mm-hmm. you, I think it's a decision somebody should make very intentionally. Yes, I love that. Be intentional with that decision and also dive into the logistics of it, right? Like you're saying, the the place, the time, the money, don't ignore those factors. Definitely take them into consideration as well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Switching it up a little bit, I'd love to know what are your top three best practices for balancing work and life? You know, I I struggle with this as do many others and would just love to know what's been helping you so far. Yeah, so I, I think I've I've done a pretty good job. Awesome. Of, of this in, uh, I'm naturally a pretty organized person. Mm-hmm. So I like so in in the lab, a lot I see a lot of people do this, and I think this would this is handy for anyone, not just in labs. Right. But I have a planner that I write down like every experiment or everything I want to read or finish writing um, or people that I want to talk to, like for the day in my little planner, and then Mm -hmm. I check it off. I do those things. So for me, that's a list of what I need to do that day. And once I get to that point, assuming, you know, I have, I have put in my time, I have done as Mm -hmm. much work as I'm going to do today, like, I feel comfortable going home and not really thinking about it. After that, I did what I came here to do today. And that is that is enough. I, if, if you're able to, and I know this is not the case for everybody, but trying 
to keep your work like email <laughs> away right. from your home mm-hmm. <laughs> helpful or if you're working from home like having the set kind of schedule of you know it's mm-hmm. it's 9 p.m you don't have to respond to that email like you are <laughs> having a set schedule and, like these are my working hours and these are my these are my personal hours is helpful and I just I don't know a good thing you know get out take a walk do some right. exercise those things are all good good balancers and people have tons of different hobbies those are those are good things to to balance you too is to have other things to look look forward to outside of being at work definitely and I the thing I forget about lab work is you can really work forever right there's not a clear nine to five schedule as other jobs have so it seems like for you that planner and having that list of here's what I need to accomplish today and then I can go home really helps you I'm curious do you ever feel sometimes you have way too much to do than is possible in this single day? And and what do you do? Do you simply just move those to-do items to the next day? Or how do you how do you balance that and prevent yourself from working forever 24 hours in the lab? So when you're working, it, it really depends on like what type of, I guess, lab you're working in. But mm-hmm. since I've worked with, you know, organisms that take time to grow, if you need something to grow for 18 hours, you have to wait until it's done. There's no way to speed that up or you you have no control over that type of thing to an extent. So that's where at least I've seen, and I think I I do this too, a lot of people in their work kind of will stop for the day. If it's something you'll leave overnight, like, okay, Mm. that's done. This needs to grow overnight and then I can do things with it. Right. (laughs) <laughs> that that definitely helps. It isn't quite as clear of a nine to five, mm-hmm. but for the most part, you're you're there for eight plus hours because there is a lot that you can do and you can fit a lot into into a day. And one thing that's some some experiments, you know, you need to do, you need to finish within a certain time course. But over you know, learning more and just more experience being around this type of structure you can figure out like oh I can set this up today and finish it tomorrow and Mm -hmm. it will not be affected and so you need to balance yourself and if you have a a list of things you know experiments that need to get done one thing that I find is helpful is with with my mentor with other people in the lab kind of come up with a a structure of like this is the most important thing to do this is the other this is the second most important thing to do so prioritize your experiments in a way that makes sense for your end goal. Ah, I love that. Be trying to work on everything all at one time. Like if something seems like the most important thing, like work on that. And when you have some downtime, start parts of other things that you can, but don't try to be focused on everything at once. Right. Yeah. I think that's great. Very specific advice. And that's what I find so fascinating about working in a lab environment is you're not only relying on your team, but you're relying on, organisms and experiments it's just it's fascinating your your time depends on so many other factors than just the people you're working with awesome depend on people a lot too for things right of course (laughs) um abby my my final question for you here today is what is your proudest accomplishment and this can be big it can be small it can be related to work or not at all 
um, can be from 10 years ago or from just yesterday? I uh, would love to know when I ask you that question, what, what pops into your mind first? The one thing that's been on my mind lately, I guess, just thinking about, you know, I, I graduated last May and it's been kind of a wild year now. It's, it's been almost a year since, since I graduated and that feels kind of strange yeah. to say, but something that over the past year I've, I've been thinking about is I'm, I'm really proud of how I've feel like I've grown as a person in my ability to really reflect on some of my actions mm-hmm. and things. This is a little bit more abstract than maybe what you're going for. No, um, it's totally fine. But it is reflecting on, I guess, my actions and my, my wants and my needs as a person. Cause I think it's really easy sometimes when you're in school and in college to be like, okay, like this is how my life is. And I feel like the past year I've kind of really like things are so much bigger than you might initially realize, especially if, if you're in this like insular environment where things are very controlled. And I, I'm, I'm proud of my willingness and I guess my ability to kind of self-reflect and think critically about what I want and what I need and mm-hmm. being able to communicate that with others is, is something that I feel like I've worked on in the past year and I'm, I'm pretty proud of. Awesome. I think that's an incredible accomplishment, you know, to be able to really reflect on your actions, like you're saying, your wants and your needs. And doing so will just propel you towards your future and it'll be an incredible future. Um, so I think that's an that's an awesome incom- accomplishment. Congratulations. Oh, thank you, Alexa. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Abby, for speaking with me today. You gave some incredible insights and advice, and I just love hearing about your experience thus far um, in the sciences, as we like to say. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Abby. Yep.